Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing topics concerning the state of interactive design education at institutions of higher learning. I am your host, Gary Rosans, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Amanda Buck. Amanda was born and raised outside of Cleveland, Ohio, and brings that no-nonsense, Midwestern sensibility to her work. She loves clean, beautiful typography and distilling complex content into easy-to-use solutions. Amanda graduated from Ohio State University with a degree in visual communication design in 2008. She then spent several years in rural Alabama, co-founding a pie shop and community space. Post-Pie Lab, she lived in Chicago and worked as a designer on President Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. Her freelance clients include The Atlantic, Wall Street Journal, Good, and Center for Urban Pedagogy. She joined Happy Cog as a recent graduate from Maryland Institute College of Arts Graphic Design MFA program, where she interned for NPR's digital media team. Her thesis was a content-heavy, community-focused publication about an emerging arts district in Baltimore City. Outside of work, Amanda likes getting away from screens and spending time in the kitchen, the outdoors, and the local letterpress print shop in Baltimore. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, Gary. Hello. All right. So instead of continuing to ask the same questions, this is more for the listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> instead of you know continuing to ask the same questions in just slightly different ways, attempting to gather quantifiable results, I want to change... Um, the format up a little bit and talk about how I approach things in the classroom and see how relevant these approaches are to entry-level interactive designers. So in an interview, you were asked, what does print design have that web design doesn't? And your answer, another huge difference is the static canvas of print versus the fluid canvas of the web. Print designers can control the final outcome of a product in a way that designers can't. That really caught my interest. I've been caught up in the whole designers should code debate, leaning strongly to the designers should code camp. But I realized recently that I teach HTML and CSS, not because I want students to know HTML and CSS, rather currently, there really isn't a good way for students to show what their mock-ups look like at different screen sizes and thus, you know, that, that lack of control. So how do you overcome this as a designer? Yeah, so in that interview, um, what I was getting at is, yeah, in print design, you can really, um, you have your set page size and you can design right to that page size. And of course, in the web, that's just not how it works. It's it's fluid. And so we have to, to take into account um, different screen sizes. And so at Happy Cog, we um, typically will design for small screens and large screens. So we'll create comps um, for both of those sizes and then um, work with our developers to fill in the gaps. Um, so I think in the classroom it could be similar um, and just encouraging students to design comps for different screen sizes. So when you design those comps, mm -hmm. how, what are you designing them in? How are you, look, how are you critiquing them? How are you putting them into context? Right. Um, well, we use Photoshop 
um, at Happy Cog. And I actually am really into the new artboard edition of Creative with the new Creative Cloud release. Mm -hmm. um, so the artboards um, usually I'll, I'll keep within the same file. I'll have the large screen size and the small screen size just in the same file. Um, and of course, it's just looking at it in context. So exporting that and viewing it at actual size in a browser and then looking at it on your phone, you know, I can just open up uh, the Dropbox app and open up the PNG on my phone um, or even like if I drop it in Slack, I can open up the Slack app on my phone so I can see what it looks like on small screens. And of course, it's not taking into account every single device, but it's a starting point for that context of just small screen and large screens. All right. So that's, that's interesting, a way of, of doing it. I, I, like I said, I, that's why I taught HTML and CSS because then they could, a, before we have, you know, before there was SAS and all these live, you know, browsers like browser sync and stuff like that, they could upload it to a website and then just, you know, look at it on their, on any device. But now that they can, you know, do that on their you know, it just like, like I said, browser sync or something like that and, and look at it on like a device lab as a way to critique, is this the right font size? Is this button the right size for the, the context? Um, so apparently I was overcomplicating it a little bit there. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I didn't think those are tools too, but yeah. Well, I have you been paying attention to Adobe Comet? The I have. I noticed it's not releasing till early 2016, but I did sign up for that. Yeah, um, so did I. To be able to test. Does that look like, and not, let's not, I don't want to like, you know, like this become a promo for Adobe Comet, but this idea of that there is a tool specific for interactive designers so they can prototype in context seamlessly instead of like doing that work around like we'll have two artboards in photoshop and kick that over to dropbox i mean because if you stop and think photoshop isn't the best tool for typography right right <laughs> so i mean do you, and it's it's yeah it's just yeah. not it's, it really wasn't meant for that so i mean like how do you see like this helping or are you interested in this idea. Yeah, I, I am really looking forward to the release of Adobe Comet because I think it's just simplifying the process too uh, for educators as well to just, I mean, at least that's the hope. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that educators have to introduce less, um, less tools to the students because, I mean, it's changing so fast and we have a lot of different um, tools that we can use, but it's a lot to teach students um, to show them InVision and possibly even more advanced prototyping tools like Quartz Composer, like those um, visual prototyping tools, um, and then just getting into HTML, CSS, JavaScript, jQuery. There's a lot um, to introduce to students, but I think at least from the visual design and yeah. interaction design level, um, to be able to have that in one program, um, I think will will be really really great. But you know, that's just the hope. We'll see if it lives up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's nothing's ever perfect, but hopefully it. And honestly, I I've really been reflecting a lot lately about that, and that's what I keep coming back to is that 
I'm spending so much time teaching tools, not because they need the tools as a visual designer. I'm basically teaching them to be developers. They don't need to be developers, but if like a poster, you can literally hang the poster on the wall, then you can stand back from it and critique it. Is the, is the typography the right size? Is the layout working in doing what you want to do? Because right. you can't see that on the screen. Right. And I, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so do you, th but do you think, I mean, do you think that's a good approach giving them just enough HTML and CSS just enough mm -hmm. or, you know, teaching them how to use an existing word, um, framework like Zurb or bootstrap so they can do the, the, the you know, like more maybe advanced yeah. critiquing of their layouts. I, I think personally it is really important to know the basics. Um, okay. if you want to go into web design, um, and I think to like an undergrad, I did not learn web design. It was um, focused more on print and branding. Mm -hmm. And there was an option to take an elective in web design, but it just wasn't as exciting of a field then. And you know, I went back to grad school uh, for many reasons, but one of yeah. them was that I wanted to shift my career more into digital digital work and. Um, I honestly was kind of afraid of code for a while, and but once I got over that barrier of just understanding um, and being able to write HTML, CSS, and knowing enough JavaScript, JavaScript to be able to um, take some jQuery plugins, and that was just so empowering. Um, and I, I mean, now I don't necessarily do that in my day job but I'm able to have conversations with our developers and understand you know what's possible and so I, I do think it's really important to just at least have students know the basics and if they're compelled at that point to take that learning and you know advance that with more advanced programming languages you know then let that be up to them but I think if you want to go into digital it's really important to know the basics. What and it's not that hard. <laughs> you know, this is, yes, it's hard for everybody to, it's, it's, it's intimidating for everybody if they haven't ever seen it or been introduced to that programming logic before. But the problem that I see is you can get them over, you can get, it's, it's the experimenting to like figure it out. That seems to be the stumbling block, at least that I see in students every time I'm teaching is that they just don't there's this comfort to like, I don't know if it's a fear or a, I don't understand what it is, <laughs> but there's this v real hesitation to just try something. Um, do you have any suggestions? Like what got you over like, okay, I'm going to try this. And if it fails, no big deal. Or did you I probably didn't even have that problem? <laughs> no, I found like I, I was a teaching intern, GTI, they call them at MICA, yeah. um, it's like a TA, um, or a basic web design class. Um, and the students there actually ended up having designs that were too complex to yes. really implement. And so I think that was the biggest learning obstacle for them is just to, you know, be able to design something simple enough that you can actually implement. But I do agree, like, once you get the basic understanding, um, you know, it's encouraging students to then just try something completely out of their comfort zone. Um, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> it's yeah. just, 
I do think too, though, going back to your question about bootstrap, that bootstrap is a really significant tool to just, um, it's super easy to pick up the basics and then you're able to view that across different screen sizes and then build off of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think that's another thing that's useful in the classroom. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm trying now. Well, instead of using bootstrap or Zurb, I basically, I teach them floats, layouts mm-hmm. and then but quickly enough and then i said okay now we're going to make a grid css file and then this way you can just plug the content you can plug your modules in right. matter no matter how developed or underdeveloped and you can just see how they flow when the screen resizes or when the screen is in different you know in different devices and i'm happy with it but it's still it's it's spending so much time teaching the tool that I'm not getting to like really like, Oh, that's a stop doing the hero image, three images underneath, Um, you know, stop doing these like repeating patterns and let's do something new. Yeah. The web is starting to all look the same. Yeah. And I think that comes back to design education because we're not pushing that experimentation. Like we've had a thousand years of printing, on paper to push like what we can do with it. <laughs> and I do think too, that is the problem with some of these tools like bootstrap where yeah. they start to look the same because of they're built on the same kind of foundation. Um, so yes, it's a conundrum. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure how we get past that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you know, another thing I've been thinking about in that, and this is one because I'm really excited to talk to you about because you, you've done both print, you've done both um, web and interaction. So the one thing that I think varies greatly from print design to web design is actual interaction. The, right. inter, the interaction of print design is limited. I mean, and it's, well, it's not limited, but it's it's debatable, but isn't given a, cons- and it, the interaction isn't, isn't given a considerable amount of time in the classroom. Where, unfortunately, this is carried over into web and more broadly interactive design. So how something acts when clicked. Does it slide in? Does it slide out? Shake if information isn't entered correctly. Zoom in, zoom out. You know, all the different ways that you can animate and make something interact with the user. Um, That's fundamental to interactive design, but isn't properly stressed in, in design programs. So... As a, how much time do you spend designing those interactions? And what types of interactions do you design and, and think about? Um, yeah, it's, it's super significant in web design. And I mean, at Happy Call, we um, are always considering the interaction. And it, just like you said, it's hover states, um, what happens on click, things like that. Um, and we do that just with comps and then just having conversations with our developers. So I'll design a comp that is before click, just a link. And then this is what it looks like on hover. Um, And then, you know, if it has some kind of special animation or transition, then I'll probably send a link to the developer just showing this is, this is what I mean. This is kind of what I want it to look like. And then we'll have a conversation about, you know, what, just giving feedback. Do you think that will work? Do you think that makes sense? Um, how can we achieve this? How can we, um, you know, do you think it's possible? And, you know, so that's how we do it. It's just 
static comps and conversation. See, that's, and, and that's kind of what I figured you were going to say <laughs> or, or somewhere along that line. But I mean, I, I'm, the I, say, I could yeah. talk about like my experience in the classroom too. That's yeah, all. please. Um, How do you do this? Because this is, <laughs> we don't do it. You do. <laughs> um, so in that class that I uh, was a TA for, um, we, the students learned basic HTML and CSS and we mm -hmm. taught them um, CSS three transitions. And so they had to make yeah. a, a web page that um, had different different animations just using CSS. And so they had to create hover hover animations, click click animations, and then um, scroll animations. And just throughout, and have that communicate as well, not just do it because you can, but have that be intentional and be able to defend why you're using a hover state for that that button and why are using the click state for that other button, you know, just have it make sense and be communicative. Um, and beyond that as well, I think uh, it's beyond CSS, it's then they can move into JavaScript and jQuery. Yeah. That's an, that's an interesting approach um, that I, well, let me back, let me back up though. The reason I'm saying that it's an interesting approach is so when I teach, um, web design um i start with i've done it both ways i've started with like the simple single column let's focus on typography then let's you know mobile first approach then let's go into layouts and then let's you know then talk about the interactions i'm i'm just curious if like just just approaching like this is on a screen, you've got one interaction. You're not looking at it in the context. Are you looking at it in the context of the of the website, or just like the? So, is there other content around that button, or you just got like a a screen with a button on it, and you're just critiquing that interaction and showing and you know talking about that? No, it's definitely always within the context of okay. the, the whole page. Yes. Okay. So, do you do you give them that content? Or do they have to, or has it been like iterative where they've made that content around it, then they put in the button, then they design, you know, the, that interaction? Yeah, it's it's iterative. And in this example, it was um, they had to create or determine an object that they wanted to make their website about. So an object that was personally important to them. Okay. And then they had to write a story about that object um, and then... Um, have like three different, um, at least three different pages that were linked to throughout that that page, that website, and then the animations interactions were just linking them to those three different pages within the website, and each page described something else about the object. So the content was pretty simple and minimal, but they did have to develop it themselves. Okay, yeah, um, have. At a happy cog or at other places, have you seen um, anybody use like f after a after effects, flash, or keynote to try to like prototype out those interactions? Um, I have seen keynote before, <laughs> and also, I mean, Envision is pretty limited, but we do yeah. use Envision at least to show a user flow, mm -hmm. um, but not after effects, at least not at happy cog. Okay, this is curious. Everybody seems to have a different way of doing it right now because there is no one perfect tool. 
Right. So everybody's kind of ad hoc made their made made their way. Um, that's really interesting because that's I for me that's the one thing that I think we are as educators like I think we are really truly really 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 behind on is the actual inter the designing that interaction as mm-hmm. opposed to this the layout right. i know it's part of the layout but I, I just think that's the one thing that how do you i mean is there a print parallel to interaction other besides the only one i keep coming to is turning the page of a book <laughs> yeah turning the page of the book um I think it just depends on what the print artifact is. Yeah. I mean, you're interacting with the poster when it's hanging on the wall. Like you said, business cards, you can hold those in your hands or if it's a brochure. Um, like with the book, I think about like Abbott Miller's quote about a book is a movie you hold in your hands. So mm-hmm. it is an experience. Yeah. Um, but it's just, yeah, you can't, it's not like the web. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Oh, here's another um, thing that I wanted to, uh, to talk to you about. Um, so in another art, well, no, I think it's in the same article you wrote on Happy Clog um, on their blog. You um, stated, after years of working independently, it feels great to be part of a dedicated team again. So yeah. in, in, in graduate school, I spent a lot of time in my own head, likely overanalyzing every last detail of my own work. So um, now... I'm building a website collaboratively and working on complex projects that I'd never be able to do solo. The many perspectives brought to the table improve the work, and it's more fun too. So I struggle uh, to bring a truly collaborative working process to the classroom, especially at the undergraduate level. For example, I have students work in groups, guide them on how to divide up the work so the sum is greater than its parts. But in the end, each student wants to work on their own creative vision. How can an educator replicate that team approach to design practice in digital agencies? Yeah, that's very challenging. Um, I think the best way to do it is to have it be multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. If it's possible to implement that at your university. Yeah. Um, because then it's not, you don't have like five designers that really want to do the visual design and have their own vision for what the visual design in the UX looks like. Um, if you have a multidisciplinary team, then every person is bringing something else to the table, something different to the table. Um, and everyone's going to have a different perspective. So I think that's, that's in my experience, too, been some of the most successful projects that I've done in school is when you have a couple visual designers on the team and then you have, um, you know, I've had I've been on projects where um, actually in grad school, so this isn't undergrad, but um, in grad school I was on a, a project team with, like I said, two visual designers, and we worked on the, the visual design in the UX. Um, then there were two social designers on the team, and they did a lot of the design research mm-hmm. um, with us. And then we had um, a, a computer science major. This was with another school as well, so not yeah. just like a computer science major and a journalism major. And so everyone was bringing a different perspective to the table. Um, and it just, it makes for really great conversations and it really pushes the work forward. And in many ways, that's um, replicating what's happening in a studio as well. Yeah. Because, 
you know, everyone, I mean, you'll, you'll often work with other designers, of course, but um, you also have project managers and, you know, the developers who are bringing something different, sometimes even a content strategist who are bringing their own um, expertise to the table. So, again, I just think multidisciplinary is the best, best way to go. You know, this is another, this is like one of those aha moments that I feel like dumb for not realizing <laughs> that um, you're right. Well, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to relating it to a, a, a class I'm teaching this semester. Um, we had, I gave them a choice of either working in groups or working individually. And a, a couple of people, a couple, a few, they formed two groups and everybody else went off on their own. And one group, um, has continued to do a group group project where the other group, you know, they had to split up. And now that I go back and look at the makeup of it, the one group that split up, I think each one of those students identified as a visual designer. Where the group that didn't break up, I think one of them identified as a solely as a visual designer. Another one looked at him at himself um, as a front end developer. And then the third one was like, I do both. Nice. And, and so I think that is why that, that's a really great observation. Um, that that's probably why that one worked is they were just, they were different enough to be compatible. Right. Instead of the same. Um, and that's, and I would love to be able to collaborate with other departments across the university, but that, that gets challenging just because of credit hours and yeah. like logistical stuff that I think faculty probably would, but it just becomes like, like, how do you, how do you marry the two classes? And it's just like the logistics, like how do you get the t them to together for credit is, right. is, is tricky. And so that's why that's I don't think you see a lot of it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just saying, it's definitely easier to do that at a graduate level. Yes. Yes, it is. Because they've got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Just the way the, the credit system works. No, just, yeah, the classes work are meant to be more like that at the, the graduate level. But no, that's that's really good insight. Um, so following up on that, uh, on collaboration and the the working process at a digital agency, um, can you describe a recent or memorable interactive project that you've worked on and how the working process from the introduction of the creative brief and getting or generating content um, all the way to completion of the project, how that process is different from how projects are assigned in the classroom? Sure. Um, so... I am fairly new to Happy yeah. Cup. I've been there about six months, so I still have yet to be on a project completely from beginning to end. Um, I've, I've dove into a couple right when I started that were halfway through, and I'm on a project now that I've, I've been on since the start, but it's ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of ways that it's, that it's different from the classroom, um, but... I think what's great about Happy Cog in particular is that designers are not just working on visual design. Um, we're given the a lot of responsibility, and I love that. You know, we're able to think about content. Um, we're able to do wireframes and user experience and think about not just what something looks like but how it works. 
Um, so I really appreciate that at Happy Cog, and I think that's probably similar to the classroom, though, in that, you know, as a student, you have to come up with everything. You're not um, necessarily always on a group project where you have other people to um, fill those other roles for you. So I like that about Happy Cog. Um, but I think what's different is that you have um, stakeholders and clients that um, are going to have to weigh in to how something works or what it looks like that you don't have in a classroom. And in a classroom, you're able to completely control, you know, what the outcome is, um, which is very different from the real world situation. No, that's, and, and it's designers critiquing designers is. Right. It, yeah. It gets a little bit uh, cannibalistic there. Um, so I, I, the reason I asked that question is, I, I, I'm just going to use Airbnb mm -hmm. for an example. Somebody, a des somebody had to design that, but they had to design that experience. They had to design that the look, they had to decide the interaction. They had to design all those different parts to it. And I, and I'm, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that they weren't done in isolation from one another. No. And so given theory that they were all done together at the same time, and like, I'm just trying to think like, how would I replicate that in the classroom? Um, but also, you know, still teach, you know, like the modularity, like the, like the minutia that you need to teach, but also this like broad spectrum that you need to teach. Mm. I mean, am I, am I assuming right on that? Like, that process that you're involved in everything? Yeah, well, I think what's what's difficult to replicate really in the classroom is end users. Yeah. So if there's any way that you could um, just tell your students that even though this is a student project, you have to keep in mind, like, how would someone use this? What is this communicating? And if possible, even bring that to um, potential users or just even if it's testing with your classmates or students in other departments that aren't necessarily well-versed in design, um, being able to test it on other people is is really important step in the process. So that might be a way to bring some of that more real-world-ness yeah. to a classroom. Do some more good old-fashioned user testing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, is, on, on user testing, is there... You probably got a lot of that from Ohio State, I bet. Whether it, <laughs> right? Well, I like I didn't like I said earlier, I didn't learn web design at Ohio State, um, but because it was just like, at that point, we, people were coding with tables. You yeah. know, it's was, it was a different different era of web design. Um, yeah. But but I did get a solid foundation in process and research, design research at Ohio State. Yeah, because Paul. Um, I'll yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I, yeah, you've, so what were some of like, so some of that research that he did or um, that you did at Ohio state, um, what were some of those that translated well and it helped you at in grad school helped you at happy cog? Yeah. I mean, it's a long, it's a long time ago yeah. to my days at Ohio state, but it's definitely provided a really solid foundation for me um, in both 
my experience working in print and branding and now uh, working in digital web design. Um, just the basics of, like I said, knowing how to approach a design problem, um, mm -hmm. knowing how to conduct design research and thinking always about the audience and the end user. Um, that's so significant and that applies to whatever yeah. field of whatever aspect of the design field that your students are going to go in, that foundation is going to help them. Okay. Um, so now that you've gone through both an undergraduate and a graduate degree, um, successfully worked in the field and teach classes within a design program, and you understand like the constraints of the classroom, mm -hmm. what would you do in a design program or in a class um, to prepare students for entry-level interactive design positions at agencies like, like Happy Cog? That's a good question. <laughs> so the class I currently teach is Typography 1, mm -hmm. and then next semester I'm teaching Typography 2. But I, I really would like to consider, maybe for next year, um, a web design class. And so I'll be thinking about that in the coming year, of what I, will, what I would include in, in a class like that. Um, but I think it's trying to do some of the things that we've been talking about in the classroom context. Like, um, besides just the solid foundation of, you know, graphic design principles and working with type, like having good type skills is super important. And so yeah. I think introducing that, um, especially in, of course, the screen context. So introducing, you know, how to work with web fonts, um, mm -hmm. that would be really great to do in a classroom. Um, and then of course, like I said earlier, user testing, uh, would be really important, and then prototyping with whatever tool is used at that point. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and that's how I actually uh, approached beginning typography when I do teach that. Is I, it's almost like a compare and contrast. They say, okay, here's we're doing a typographic hierarchy exercise. Here's it is for print. Here it is for screen. Uh -huh. Let's you know so they can see that. Then okay, let's work with a substantial amount of typography in a blog post versus um, maybe it's a, a spread or, you know, something that is just there's more more reading focused as opposed to just, you know, like dealing with the hierarchy of information. And you do that in a type one class? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I go from I go back and forth um, just one yeah. the next because I th I don't know I, it, it I'm it just yeah. they saw it makes them see that there's a difference that it's that what you do on the screen in InDesign, Photoshop, Illustrator is different when it gets printed out on a piece of paper, but it's also radically different when it's actually put into a browser or put into a phone. True. So, just seeing the differences. I found though in Type One, at least, and mm -hmm. this is my second time teaching it, um, and. I found that for the most part, the students aren't quite ready for screen-based type. <laughs> <laughs> They're never ready. <laughs> so I, I, with this semester, I started um, just a very, very, very basic introduction to screen-based type by just um, having them take a print project. So mm -hmm. um, right now they're designing posters and then creating like 
what, what I did a lot of on the Obama campaign. So creating um, share graphics for social media. Mm-hmm. So um, it's basically, I describe it to them, it's like this is like a digital billboard. So you're taking the essence of that poster and putting it on, on the social media share graphic and imagine what it looks like in a Twitter feed or a Facebook feed. See, now that's um, awesome. And that is not about interaction, but it's still just like step one of, you know, this is what your design looks like on screen. No, step that is, <laughs> yeah, that is awesome because I, I keep saying that like the email is the most under-designed but most widely used piece of yeah. communication out there. But I've, I don't know anybody who – I've never – at any portfolio review I've been to, any educator I've ever talked to, any student I've ever talked to, nobody's ever assigned, let's make an, let's make an HTML email. <laughs> yeah, email. <laughs> so, and, so I love that you're doing that with the social media and stuff yeah. too. Um, have you ever used Typecast? Um, the, it's a, it's an, I, do you know what it is? Yes. Okay. Have you ever used it? Um, I have not, but I know that other designers have used it, um, use it at Happy Cog and Mm -hmm. I'm sure I will be using it as I get more in depth in projects there. The only reason I ask is because I've, I've kind of, I've tried to use it because I, I think that would be a great way to introduce web typography. Yeah. The students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I've tried to use it and it feels like it's a little, there's still a learning, there's still so much of a learning curve to using it Right. that I might as well just teach them the HTML and CSS anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was curious if you used it. <laughs> um, all right. So um, Amanda, thank you for your time. So, but before I let you go, is there anything you are working on that you would like to share or something you want to promote? Um, not currently, no. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there maybe like a final piece of advice you'd like to give design educators that we didn't cover in our conversation? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, I think it's important to introduce students, of course, like I said earlier, to a really solid foundation of just respecting the design process. Mm-hmm. So teaching them, you know, that iteration is key to getting successful design. Um, and also that um, they need to know how to present their work. And so being mm-hmm. able to talk about their work and defend every design decision beyond just, I like this or it looks good. Um, and with ha- going along with that is being able to write about their work. Oh, thank you for saying that. In general, um, and produce their own content. I think it's, it's really difficult to... Um, get students to do that but it's again like really empowering for them to be able to um, create their own content at least basic content to use in their own projects so that's all I would say is just make sure that you're you know introducing those things in the classroom do you have any suggestions for doing that Um, for the writing I mean like we look Jeffrey Zeldman is constantly writing Um, Frank Chimero is is constantly writing i mean anybody who's happy cog is is constantly the whole entire team is constantly writing um and it's so important for designers to do that nowadays but how do you is there a way that you promote that or or in the classroom or is there ways that you would like oh i would like to do this 
to get them to do it more? Well, in the classroom, ways that I've done it is when they have to develop their own content, like right now um, I just introduced a new project and they have to write their own content for their type specimen books. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I'm doing is having them um, create a presentation before they actually start the design work where they have to gather content um, that will go into their books um, beyond just, you know, it's a type specimen book, but beyond this, just showing the um you know, the character of the typeface and all of the glyphs in the typeface. Beyond that, I want them to also dive into, like, tell me why it was designed. Tell me what was the de designer's intent. Um, tell me who the designer was and any historical information. Um, so having them make a presentation about it, I think, is, is really important because that forces them to, to do the research and come up with um, at least a starting point for their content. Um, and I encourage them too to put their own personal touch on it in some way. Yeah. So that's one. That's a very basic way to to, to force them to get to start. Um, you know, create creating content. But as far as writing, I think yeah. it's um, at least at Happy Cog, I'm constantly just like writing in my Evernote if if something comes up in the middle of a design project, and you know, I just think, oh, I need to make sure I investigate that later that could be a blog post um something like that so just use it i use evernote all the time for just snippets of thoughts and things that i learn as i'm going through a project um and then i think it just really helps to being forced to write blog posts blog posts um really you know just the hardest part is getting started but once yeah. you start it's just that's the hardest part i like the idea of the running journal yeah, because that, that's a safe way to approach it. If you can spit out a paragraph about what you were thinking at the moment, and then if it's something, you can come back to it. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. So that's all the time um, we have today for on episode fourteen of Design Edu today. I want to thank today's guest, Amanda Buck of Happy Cog, for being so generous with her time. I want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. Finally, I want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you want to discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit us on the web at designedu.today. You can f also follow us on Twitter at designedu today, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes store. Thank you for listening to Design EDU Today.